Yo, bitch, on this pod, we are going to be reviewing Gemini Man, the latest film from Will Smith versus Will Smith. We're going to be talking about our favourite Breaking Bad moments, from broken ATMs to finding out the biggest plot points whilst taking a dump and everything in between. We're also going to be reviewing Il Camino, the Breaking Bad movie on Netflix. And me and John go through all the world of news and why Jennifer Anson should shut the hell up. In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions. Talk Filmy to Me. Hello, welcome to the Talk Filmy to Me podcast, a film podcast about news, entertainment, general pop culture. Join me today on the pod. My name is Adam Flint, but more importantly, I've got with me my wingman, the guy who I only allow to follow me on Instagram so I know no one filters out my stories. John, how you doing, pal? I'm good. You've caught me. I'm the one. <laughs> You were like Detective Pikachu going through all the clues in a twisty way. I gotta say, that sort of shit captured the imagination of the of the UK. It's amazing. I mean it's it's very dastardly and clever. And it's just how do you repost to that? That's career ending, surely, for a, a wag <laughs> if there is a career to end. <laughs> Oh, Civil War, mate. It's Waggate. Uh, what I found fascinating was it's London Film Festival at the moment. And shout out to any of our friends, colleagues, peers, people we love or people we aspire to be that are there at the moment. It's a two-week festival of some of the greatest films that are going to be coming out over the next 12 months. And Ryan Johnson was there talking about Knives Out, which by all account is absolutely fantastic. And during this interview, someone was like looking at their phone and it was like, oh, what are you, what are you looking at? And they described and talked through the the wag gate situation and they literally spent the entire interview not talking about knives out just to talk about how batshit crazy this is i love the fact that that the filmy world has has taken this so netflix tweeted the other day not the other day i think it was yesterday saying shit we're gonna have to make a documentary about this aren't we (laughs) (laughs) jumping on a bandwagon it's really caught it's set the internet alight well i think just because it's such a it's such bad times at the moment that we all just need something to talk about that isn't boris johnson or or horribleness related, right? Mm. Anyway, more importantly, how's your your expanse going? Let's have your hot take, your expanse minute. You've been getting into that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not far into it. I tried to convince <laughs> the wife. She's remains unconvinced, but I've had I mean, everyone I spoke to about it is can't wait for series 4. It's coming out, but it's a massive slow burner. So, I think I'm going to have to ride it solo and do it while the wife's away. Um, pardon that sounds a bit dodgy, but there we go. Yeah, so I am going to persevere, and I think I'm going to get into it, but it's one of them. It's a slow burner, and I don't think there's anything wrong with a slow burner. I think we... I was going to actually do a feature, suggest a feature at some point on first episodes, Flinty, because this came out... Pilot. The Expanse, yeah, came out in um, 2015, 2016, and I feel like even from that then to now, there's a there's a difference in the first episode. A first episode that comes out now has to completely grab you. Something outrageous has to happen in the first episode. Otherwise, it's mm. going nowhere. And I feel like just a few years ago, you had a bit more leeway and you could get a bit of word of mouth going, you know, halfway through the season. So, yeah, I found, I found maybe uh, it'd be interesting to talk about the best pilots, uh, maybe the pilots that, didn't seem that good but then when you look back on you're like actually that career character development was you know it was all starting from there so what do you reckon Flinty? 
Yeah, I think that's an interesting one. Talk about that in the near future. Sounds good. With it being Halloween or Halloween month, um, I've been getting back into my horror, man. Like, uh, I don't. It's like you look through your Twitter timeline. It's just people getting excited about Halloween, and you start hearing little tidbits of news. Uh, I'm also doing a truckload of research for a side project at the moment about zombie movies and stuff like that. So I've been watching tons of zombie stuff. I've got to say, Walking Dead is kind of like the TV show has kind of fizzled out for me. Um, anyone who's watched a later season, can you let me know? If is, is it worth reinvesting after, spoiler alert, Andrew Lincoln? Um, I don't know, uh, so it'd be interesting to hear people's views on that. But uh, 28 Days Later, I've been watching that with the missus last night. Really, really loved that film. Can't wait to see what comes back from that. Anyway, shall we crack on? Let's crack on. I think I know why he's as good as you. He is you. 25 years ago, they made you from me. They chose me because there's never been anybody like me. We have to end this right now. Gemini Dan is a film that has been doing the rounds in Hollywood for the best part of 30 years. Uh, this started out as a project with a bunch of other actors' names attached to this. People like Harrison Ford, Tom Cruise, uh, Mel Gibson, just to name but a few, have attached and then passed on this project. The reason why it's taken so long to get onto our screens is purely because of the goal of taking an actor and de-aging them in a digital way so you can portray this story. It's only up until around 2016 when it was believed this could actually be done. Uh, the director that brought this to the helm is Ang Lee. He's worked on stuff of Life of Pi, as well as done screenplay work with David Brenoff and a bunch of other people to boot as well. Jerry Brockheimer's the producer on this, and it stars Will Smith, set in a kind of weird, not-too-distant future, where Will Smith plays a character called Henry, who's an elite 51-year-old assassin who's about to call quits after completing his 72nd job, only to be upturned by another assassin who keeps trying to kill him. And unfortunately, this assassin is pretty good. It's almost like he knows every one of Henry's moves. It's almost like looking into a very strange mirror. Basically, a clone has been created of Henry to take out Henry and continue working in this horrible environment. And this film is very action orientated, of course. One of the things which I can't help, and I'm gonna talk about it for a moment, uh, hopefully not too long, is the way this film is displayed. Now, Ang Lee is no stranger to using tech in his movies. Obviously, remember Life of Pi and a bunch of other stuff. He's experimented with technical architecture, but also played around with frame rates. Now, the goal of this film is to make a digitally de-aged Will Smith to the point of he's 23, uh, for obviously for his clone, and to do it in an action 3D way, which is really cinematic. And the goal is to push the frame rate up. I'm not going to go into the technicalities because I'm not the right person for that, but also I'll do a shit job explaining it. But basically, most films are recorded at a much lower frame rate. It's only TV and video games that we know kind of display this in a higher frame rate, which means seeing this movie at this higher frame rate, in fact, this is going more into the hundreds of frame rates rather than the sort of 40 to, to 50 frames or more like 20 to 40 that we're used to in films. It looks weird. That's my way of saying it don't look right. But more importantly, this is, this is so, I suppose, attempting to be so forward-thinking. In the press screening uh, before this film came out, we were delayed by half an hour while they were calibrating the machine, uh, as in the projector, so that it would actually run at the frame rate intended to. This film was made to be on a big IMAX screen, 4DX, 
3D glasses on, enjoying the whole thing. Now, if you take aside the technical stuff and just look at the film, what do we have here? It kind of feels a bit lifeless. Will Smith is doing the best he can, given the context involved in this, but it's just not hitting the same highs that we hoped to. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is actually really good in this film. She's like the plucky sidekick who adds a bit of humanity to this. Benedict Wong, anything with him in, I am always happy to see. So he's, you know, he's he is good in this film, but it's just the story really lets it down. And for a film that has spent the best part of 30 years in development hell, we kind of expected something a little bit better. Uh, the effects are kind of cool once you take apart the frame rate stuff. The actual like action set pieces are interesting and innovative. There's one really interesting scene where Will Smith is basically taking on himself and the way Will Smith acts in this you've got you got to applaud it because he's actually done a really good job in my opinion it's really hard to it must be really hard to not only be a younger version of yourself but do that in a context where you're you and you're trying to capture what you were when you were 23 very very impressive acting and it's doubled off against each other it looks seamless i mean we've all got reference points we all grew up on will smith as i've referred to before he's my homer simpson i've grown up on that guy being on my screens for most of my life and he is the will smith i remember at the 23 i've done a great job from that perspective what i haven't done a great job with is really making me care really making me believe it does touch on some interesting elements about what does it mean to be alive what's it means to have a soul think about blade runner 2049 that was a bit grim that was a bit like oh what does that mean what's the ethics behind that but ultimately it's just crash bang wallop not much more in between i don't think we'll be getting a sequel and for that reason alone it's going to be three out of five of all the people in the world to come after me why would he send you So, John, other things that are dividing the filmy world isn't just about what famous footballers' wives are up to. Uh, is the discussion about Marvel potentially destroying cinema. Obviously, Mr Scorsese weighed in on his argument and started it. Actually, this all stemmed from an Empire interview, um, which was done to celebrate his career. And it was just an off-the-hand comment, and the world has jumped on that and kind of purple monkey dishwashed it. But... Guess what? The, the the matriarch of cinema apparently has come out and weighed in with her opinion now. Jennifer Anderson, of all people, has decided to come out and say that she believes Marvel is destroying cinema. John, what's your, your feelings on this? I think she might want to get a, a lead role in a Scorsese movie. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've, I, I kind of empathise with her because uh, I'm not a big fan of Marvel. But, you know, at the same time, it's... It, is this a bandwagon that people are now going to jump on? Is this going to divide Hollywood? Um, it's kind of interesting. I think it's an interesting discussion point and kind of a, quite a bold thing for her to say because uh, she's not always, she's kind of the least controversial Hollywood figure that you could think of, really. True. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. She's made some really good films. Yeah, and she's obviously a very good artist. And, I think and some really that. bad ones, she's, let's be fair. She's also made some <laughs> fucking stinkers. So, you know, you know, take every picture. I mean, you shouldn't judge uh, an opinion just by the stuff they've done, to be fair. Um, I think there are two things. One, I think that it's pretty rich coming from someone who has basically built her career off of certain movies that people might say aren't particularly good for cinema and also it's pretty rich coming from someone who may have i i 100 am certain at some point given the fact that marvel has spanned over 23 movies and you look at the cast that they have employed over those films 
I have no shadow of doubt in my mind that there would have been a conversation with Jennifer Anderson at some point for a role in a Marvel movie. When you have people like Je- when you've got when you even got like Angelina Jolie about to be cast into films to to up and coming actors, but also well established Michelle Pfeiffer's and all that. I am sure the feeders have been put out like very far across the landscape and even people who might be a little bit interested because their kids might watch the film or they're interested you know i generally believe she's probably at some point been been part of that world even if it's just a discussion and but there's an interesting debate about what is cinema what are movies what does it mean to go to the cinema now i believe that the reason why you go to the cinema is to be entertained to have some escapism and to just enjoy the art that's before you that doesn't mean that other art should be diminished for it. It's just that Marvel's excelled recently in that escapism of what it means to have a cinematic experience. Now, you can watch amazing films in plenty of other mediums, right? So people, yeah, it's the Netflix argument, are oh, they killing cinema? Well, Roma kind of shown that they can actually make some really amazing, beautiful pieces of art. And some might say that Adam Sandler nearly ruined movies on Netflix with those stupid that stupid deal where it was like 10 movies with him and his mates and she was probably in a couple of them. You know, it's it's so subjective. I think people are entitled to their opinion and Jennifer Anson is very much entitled to hers. But the other part of me is saying, fuck you, I love my Marvel movies. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a spiky one, isn't it? I don't want to wade too much into the waters. But I feel like there might there might be a feeling, uh, a split developing of, of the Scorseses and Jennifer Anderson who uh, maybe leaned way more character driven um and uh yeah and sort of what marvel represents which is a kind of more all-out kind of action and more surface entertainment i guess um am i sounding like an elitist snob right now i don't know no, no you, I think you've done. I think you've done that very well. I think there's a lot of. I see a lot of. Uh, every now and again, people weigh in on that and give you know the odd comments. And you think just you can have strawberry, you can have vanilla, you can have ice cream. Just be happy. We're all having dessert, right? There's what a time right now. We all thought cinema was going to go away because of piracy, and thankfully that is not the case at the moment. Yes, there is still a big problem, but actually, I think streaming services are, are stemming that problem. Sorry, are quelling if that's the right word because. You know, it's not that much of a far stretch of the imagination to pay out for a Netflix account, and you're less likely to download a film illegally if you can stream it off your Netflix account. But then again, because of hype, because of social media, because of podcasts, all of a sudden cinema feels like it's becoming more of an event again. So when a new Star Wars movie comes out, everyone wants to go. When when Ryan Johnson's Knives Out comes out in cinema, there's going to be a legion of people marching to that cinema some of them to want to beat the shit out of him because of last jedi some of them because they're intrigued and i don't know if we've we've had a feeling like that for a while so i think i think it's, it's kind of on the up in my opinion mm. yeah but anyway speaking about murky waters uh, disney dropped their trailer for jungle cruise now for the uninitiated, this is based on a ride in the theme park. In the early, um, late 90s, early 2000s, Disney went through a thing of making movies about rides that are in their parks. Now, the most successful is probably Pirates of the Caribbean, although I would say National Treasure is equally good. Uh, also, they've done Haunted Mansion with Eddie Murphy, the unfunny Eddie Murphy at that point. There's stages of Eddie Murphy's career. There's hilarious, biggest actor on the planet, Eddie Murphy. Then there's unfunny Eddie Murphy. And I'm hoping we're going to get back 
back to funny Eddie Murphy and we're glad he's back. You know, that resurgence that seems to happen in certain actors' careers. I hope that comes back soon. But um, anyway, the next up is the Jungle Cruise movie. Now, this has people like Emily Blunt. It's got Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. The Rock, playing the lead in this. And also... Jack Whitehall is cast in this film as well. I, I really hate that guy, so it's really hard for me to like be <laughs> to have like a to be a neutral about this. But anyway, the trailer drops. John, what was your first thoughts from this trailer? Oh, <laughs> emptiness, <laughs> depression. No, um, I mean, it, I, I, the right. I, it's kind of fascinating that Disney get away with building these films around a ride. What other company in the world could actually get away with that? Um, but yeah, no, it, it kind of looks like a family-friendly kids movie with a very uh, kind of placid Dwayne Johnson who doesn't look at all <laughs> interested, to be honest. <laughs> but no, I'm not not very intrigued. I, I'm, I can safely say I'm going to give it a two out of five already come next year. <laughs> what about you, Flinty? See, I'm really torn because on paper, like I generally like this cast, with the exception Great of... Great cast. Bottle, and... But, yeah, from that trailer, I've never seen The Rock look so bored. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, he just generally just... He's saying stuff like The Rock. And any screenshot of that trailer, you'd say that looks like The Rock. But it's just missing the, the charm, the charismaticness. If I mean, say what you will about The Rock's movies. Some of them are... Ab- I believe some of them are absolutely fantastic. And, yeah, he's learned some lessons like everyone does when they're, they're building up their repertoire. But for the last two or three years, I generally believe that guy is probably the biggest actor on the planet, probably both physically and metaphorically as well in that. And even if you watch something like Hobbs and Shaw, and a lot of people will shit on it, a lot of people will just high-five and say that's a, an awesome film. Some people will say that the, the dialogue is pretty. And, you know, everyone's got an argument to be had there. But one thing you can't deny is that The Rock's fucking charismatic in that film. In fact, he's charismatic in nearly everything he does. So it was a real shock to the system when you watch it and go, uh, like I say, it's just limp. Um, you know, I hope it's just the trailer's been edited poorly and they've just put the wrong things in the wrong places at the wrong time and that's why you kind of got this kind of disconnect from it. Because he's generally, like I say, a funny, great person to have in films. But yeah, I don't think this is going to start a trend. I don't think this is going to be like... Like with Pirates, it had legs to the point it had five movies and mate, literally got Johnny Depp a tropical island in payments. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know if it's going to do that. Um, I also think this is probably a property that's been in development for a very long time. And probably even during the days of your National Treasures, your Haunted Mansions, this was probably the next in the hopper to be built up. And it's just only taken till now because they managed to get a star like The Rock attached to it so yeah. it seems like one of those movies that uh, no one is everyone's sort of pretending they're passionate about but really it's kind of a job it's a, it's a job um, which you know I'm, I'm not judging of everyone needs to work and stuff <laughs> but uh, yeah I, I can't see this um, being a being a memorable one for Disney but prove me wrong I've been wrong many times before so exactly so anyway moving on one of our favourite men in the moment, Taika Waitiki, I think I pronounced that correctly. Uh, he's hot on the heels of doing the press tour at the moment for Jojo Rabbit, which we will be reviewing in a couple of weeks' time. In fact, apparently, uh, it was played at London Film Festival at the moment, and people are lacking it up. Wait. Now, when you are Taika Waitiki, what do you do next? Well, he's already committed to his next project. Obviously, he's working on that new Thor movie for Marvel, but this is another passion project that he has lined up. Next Goal Wins. It's going to be a film about 
a Dutch coach who attempts the impossible task of turning this American Samoa football team from losers into winners. Basically, they just had the biggest loss in their in all of football international football careers. It was some it was like a ridiculous amount of goals they lost by. And it's a comedy about trying to whip that team into shape. It's got people like Andy Circus involved, Michael Fassbender, but most recently they've announced that Elizabeth Moss is going to be in this as well. I fucking love Elizabeth Moss. I think she's one of the most underrated actresses going. John, first of all the premise of this film, but then the cast, what's your take on this? Yeah, Elizabeth Moss, amazing. Uh, acquisition. I don't uh, know a whole lot about this film. Um, can you enlighten me? Yeah, sure. So basically, there was a documentary in 2014 called Next Goal Wins, and it follows the American Samoa football team. And it was in a World Cup qualifying match. They got absolutely tonked. Like, I think it was something, I, I don't know the exact number, but it was something like 32 nil. Or, or something ridiculous like that. And this Dutch coach, who was actually quite a, a famous uh, coach in his own right, could could have been managing in quite a few places, decided to take this on as a bit of a laugh. And it's about how he builds this team up to, you know, they don't go on to win World Cups. They don't go on to, to do much, but they definitely improve and they make their country proud. So it's a comedy. Um, that Taika Waititi is doing a, you know, a a movie version of. He is writing and directing it, and currently that's been cast as Michael Fassbender, who's going to be playing the Dutch coach. Michael Fassbender has such a range of nationalities, doesn't he? <laughs> He's, he can be Irish, he can be German, he can be American, he can be South African. You know, he's, he, uh, the question about the accents, I know a lot of people are shit hot on their accents and, and laugh at Michael Fassbender. I generally think he's the most versatile actor going. So, yeah, he can do Dutch easily. So um, I think he's going to be hilarious. And actually seeing him in comedy, because this is going to be a comedy, obviously, you know what you're getting with Taika Waititi. It's going to be funny. You don't know what you're getting in terms of how he's going to portray this. He's managed to make Hitler funny, for Christ's sake. So, um, you know, he, he is such an amazing talent um, behind and in front of the camera as well. So there's lots of interesting stuff here. So Michael Fassbender, you don't necessarily associate with comedies. Elizabeth Moss, I personally would not associate with comedies, but... Uh, in Us this year, I thought there was some interesting timing in her delivery and stuff, and it made it a comedy, which I thought was you know, fucking great from that perspective as well. So I just think she's amazing. I love her and everything I've seen her in so far. Yeah, no, that sounds amazing. I kind of love Taika Waititi's... Uh, he seems to be able, at the moment, he's having a real moment, he's, he, he can do whatever he wants, right? This is the kind of story that wouldn't get picked up maybe by, uh, by a, a, a huge... Uh, you know, huge company or anything, but he's obviously got, heard it and got a passion and and run with it, and he's got license to do that, which is amazing. Which he's sort of probably got out off the back of like these huge, uh, like Thor and and other movies like that. So, well, yeah, yeah, Jennifer Anderson, pay attention. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly can't wait for this. So, um, I, I saw something on Twitter the other day. Someone posted up saying Elizabeth Moss would make an amazing Joker. And I totally see that, especially after her performance in Us. Like some, like a like they kind of done that Elseworld thing with Joker. So maybe you know it's too soon to revisit that well. But doing a, a female-led Joker movie with Elizabeth Moss playing a fucked-up psychopath, um, they've got my money. <laughs> so if you want to, if you if you're listening, Hollywood, get that done. 
Um, so we talked about the Matrix Four, uh, the new Matrix movie. Obviously, that's uh, we done a bank holiday special about that a couple of months ago, where we talked about what we think they could do, what we liked about the idea, what we were apprehensive about. Well, they've just announced uh, one of their first casts, which is Yaha Abdul Mateen II. I pronounced that terribly, but basically the bad guy in Aquaman, but also in Black Mirror in Striking Vipers. He was Captain America, Sam Falcon's best mate. The guy who was the bachelor. Um, he's been in a bunch of other stuff as well, but I can't think of top head else what he's been in. But uh, I think it's an amazing cast. What do you think, John? Yeah, he's uh, he's having a moment as well. He's sort of a mark of good quality. I think it definitely holds Matrix Four in good stead. This is going to be an intriguing one. This one, isn't it? It feels like it could go one way or the other, one extreme. Yeah, it could be completely dodgy and not worth the wait, and it could be like just revolutionise the whole franchise maybe and put a whole stamp on it, a new stamp on it. Yes, just just do me one favour, please. Public service announcement. Do not cast him as a young Morpheus. <laughs> because, like, I've kind of done with that world. We know that Keanu Reeves and uh, and previous cast members will be coming back, so that's that's interesting. Um, I, I have no idea where we're going to go with this, so... But like you say, this guy is such a good actor. I think I saw him on Graham Norton a few months ago and he was just so chilled, relaxed and just a, a charming guy that you kind of just... You, just, you know when you, you, you see good people and you just want good people to do well? I get that vibe very much from him. So I really hope that he gets a great role and I hope it's a great story to, to warrant the role, more importantly. Let's hope so. So, John, are you a Star Trek man? I am not, as you uh, as you well know, Flinty, but I appreciate the question. Um, but well, <laughs> I did watch the latest Star Trek trailer for Picard, though, and tried to get into the world. <laughs> Just a few, you know, 100 hours to catch up on. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, this looks really interesting. What, did, what was your take as a well, half-trekkie? I'm a, thank you, you know that. I'm a half Trekkie. I like the films, never really got into the TV show, although apparently Discovery is very, very good. Um, I am a massive fan of, obviously, Jean-Luc Picard. I generally think it's amazing they've got some of the original cast to get back involved. Patrick Stewart is a treasure, and the idea of him reprising any form of his former roles always puts a smile on my face. Now, what I love is that the initial trailers of this have started out as, oh, it's just him in a, on a farm or a wine vineyard or whatever oh it's just gonna be like a one-off drama thing about an old man reflecting back on his life and we'll all just be grateful it's there we've revisited a well which will be a theme in some of our reviews later on in this pod um but in this trailer you see that you know he gets back in the he gets back in the swing of things he puts the suit back on he gets back out there i mean yes obviously he is a little bit older then <laughs> although he looks <laughs> he kind of the same he's uh he's one of them yeah non-ageable people I'd love to know if there's any Patrick Stewart like enthusiasts out there. At what, like, when did he start going bald and looking like an old man? <laughs> and at what point did this? It's like he's been cryogenically frozen in this state yeah. for about thirty years. It's absolutely amazing. I love the fact that he does the voice of um, he does voices in American Dad, like the FBI chief. And I thought it was someone doing a Patrick Stewart impression until I actually looked at the credits. Like, oh, I actually got Patrick Stewart. That's amazing. <laughs> But uh, hey, I'm I'm happy about this. But what I found fascinating was they showed um, he's number one was uh, back in a meeting with him, and everyone's aged really badly except Patrick Stewart. <laughs> 
and it just looks a bit weird. But at the same time, I'm just happy this is happening. This is member berries all over again. So, so bring it on. Absolutely. So just to wrap off news, we talked about this last week about uh, Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds are going to be making a Christmas Carol movie. A bit more information has come out now. Uh, it's going to be a musical, but more interestingly, this is going to be an Apple Plus exclusive. So if you are an Apple Plus subscriber, which I think the product comes out at the end of this year, uh, at around the same time that Disney Plus comes out, I think they're only about three weeks away, which is scary as well. Um, this is going to be their, I think this is their first time they've announced a movie, or at least they've actually put some weight and cast behind it anyway um john are you any more excited or you think this is just another nail in the coffin for this film i think it's gonna be a family friendly romp and it's gonna be incredible um i think we're crying out for a, a a really good quality christmas movie so um my hope is that it's amazing <laughs> we could do with one they only seem to come around once every 10 years nowadays so um yeah let's let's hope fingers mm. crossed I thought that Father Christmas movie we got with Kurt Russell last year from Netflix, I generally thought that's probably like the best Christmas movie we've had in like 10 years. So maybe that well's already like dried out. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it sounds kind of cool. They're very funny people. And, you know, musicals can be funny of the right people. So I don't know. But I think put it on Apple Plus, it's just... He gave a very fun... Did you see Ryan Reynolds' very funny happy birthday to Hugh Jackman on Twitter? Oh, no, it was his birthday yesterday. What did he do? Oh, you, I'll just, you just have to watch it. You can't possibly can't to watch describe it. it. It'll, it'll take all the fun out of it. Check <laughs> it out. It's good. There we go. So anyway, that's your news for this week. Now, any Breaking Bad fans know that this weekend is going to be fucking incredible for nearly everyone involved. It is the launch of El Camino. We'll be doing our review of that uh, in the next feature. But what we want to do before then, just to, to build up the senses, to lighten up the, the discussion, uh, I put it on our Twitter account earlier on this week. What are your favourite Breaking Bad moments? And a bunch of you have got back to me through DMs. A couple of you have replied back on the post. And I wanted to talk to John about what our favourite moments were. And uh, yeah, then we go into the review of El Camino. John, I'm going to tell you my number one moment first and then we'll, we'll just go, go from there, right? So um, what I found fascinating was on Twitter, um, it was obviously the premiere of El Camino. You had, I think, Dean Morris is his name, the guy who plays Agent Schroeder. Uh, he was on the red carpet and uh, he was there promoting... Uh, Schneider Brow that he's actually launched a beer company based on <laughs> the beers that he done in those episodes and uh, Mark Hamill randomly tweeted a picture at the same time saying I saw Dean Norris I had to go up and get a selfie with him no one can be an antagonist and protagonist in the same way like this man has and I completely concur the guy is absolutely sensational but nothing epitomizes that character arc's moment in this TV show more than the moment when he is sitting on the toilet and he's flicking through a, bo a book and he sees WW and he puts it all together and you see the cogs turning, the suspense is building, it's palatable. At this point you're thinking, fuck, the amount of times he has nearly had Walter White bangs to rights and didn't even know it was his brother-in-law and he is sitting on his toilet right now taking a dump and he has just put it all together. Now how that is suspenseful, how that is one of the key points of the series, key points of the show is only because of his ability to bring gravitas to that moment and the art direction the film and everything else it is brilliant that is my top moment of the show i would definitely yeah that's a standout moment isn't it it's incredible 
Um, I have to say, it's it's a cliche, but I think, as I've said many times before, Breaking Bad prog- got progressively better. It stayed at the high standard for the entire time, which is why I count it as the greatest TV show of all time. But the ending, I mean, it's so believable and so, you know, slap the fire amazing. Uh, it's it's the best ending of any TV show because you've had six series of build-up to this climax where he's <laughs> this genius has concocted this device to take out these neo-Nazis. <laughs> and you just, I mean... And then the smile on his face at the end, I just think that is the most iconic ending to a TV series of all time. Um, mm. So I'd have to put my number one as as that because it gave you, it just gave you such a send off, didn't it? True. And one of the things that I love, because I watched the finale just before I watched um, El Camino, just to kind of get me in the mood. And also because, and we'll explain in the review, uh, the, review the film is set like literally moments after us as well. And how did I handle that continuity? I wanted to be in that mindset. And um, the last thing that Walter does before the police come in and he kills over and, you know, sadly leaves this world is that he goes and just looks at the science equipment. He puts his hand on one of the, you know, condensers. And it's basically like he has said good. So look at it from this way. He said goodbye to his wife. He said goodbye to his child. He said goodbye to Jesse. Now he wants to say goodbye to another love, science. That's the thing that has always driven him. It's been, it's been the barometer of his life. It has been his roadmap. From the moment he founded that company of his close friends and then was purchased out by that, to when he turned his attention to being a teacher, to then when he tried to apply his own logic and understanding about his cancer, to then what drew him on a path about trying to find money to try and cure his cancer which led him to becoming heisenberg oh it's all been around science that's his his life that's his world that's his superpower and he said goodbye to it you know my interpretation of it and i thought it was beautiful like you say it's a beautiful send-off and speaking about the character stuff one of one of my favorite moments and i can't i was talking about this on twitter and i can't believe i forgot about this so i saw someone throw through a gif which is i think it was in season two or three maybe when Things are starting to come off the rails between him and his missus. And he's bought a pizza home to try and be like, I've bought pizza, we've got to sit down and eat some pizza. And and Skylar won't open the door to him. And he loses his rag. And, you know, he's supposed to be like, I'm this aggressive alpha male, you, you know, fuck you, bitch. And he goes to throw the pizza. And it's just the pizza perfectly timed lands on top of the roof. I mean, one of the things you can say about Brian Cranston is... He's first and foremost a comedic actor because of his days on, you know, things like Malcolm in the Middle and all that sort of stuff. But he manages to splice together that crazy, oddball, crazy, wacky, angry dad with, I'm a fucking gangster, I am Scarface. And he, that was just a moment of the crazy, hilarious dadness. Mm. What about the head on a tortoise? I mean... Oh my God, yes, with the... Danny Trejo. <laughs> that is, I mean, that's iconic, right? The fact that it's Danny Trejo's head as well. Um, Mythbusters apparently debunked that that could actually be possible. But um, I think that's an absolutely iconic moment. Actually, I mean, uh, all of those scenes in the desert where he's sort of negotiating these, he's going off to do these gangster things in the desert. Um I just loved that. Was there any more tense moments in TV than those moments, especially with Toucan? Um, and 
um, and his dad. Oh, I mean, the bell. There's just yeah, so. there's so much. But also, I will say, I mean, one of the reasons I love Breaking Bad is not for the stand-up moments, but it's the arc, isn't it, uh, of the series as well. Is the second series where it starts with that kind of the uh, bear in the pool and <clears throat> very creepy. There's a plane going above and... It, None of it makes any sense, and it feeds you a tiny bit more each episode until it does make sense. And it's just, it goes from being completely weird, alien, and crazy, and so unrealistic to like, oh shit, it's, it's genius the way it all comes together. And Vince mm. Gilligan, he's sort of got one eye on those, the moments, and one eye on like the longer arc of a, of a series or the entire thing. And, yeah, constantly tugging between the two, which is the genius of it, in my opinion. No, I completely agree on that. I think there's a, an element of thinking about, like you say, those short-term moments, but also he never allows the table to be set for long. So, like, for example, when they're, they're starting to make a bit of money, they've taken out the local drug dealers and they've built this great relationship. Well, it's not great, but they have a relationship with Gus and everything was good. They were making great money, they were they were churning out their blue meth. There was not a chance in hell they were getting caught. But then, all of a sudden, the tables get turned. The table gets flipped over. Gus is all of a sudden the problem because Jesse's going off the rails. And Walter has to make a decision. Does he, does he stick with Jesse or does he go uh, with Gus? And that moment where he crashes the car into the two of Gus's men. And it literally gets to a point where, how do you salvage this? The only way we can salvage this is by having leverage, and that means we've got to go kill Gus's guy to make sure that there's not a chance in hell you could ever replace us. And just the decisions that have to happen throughout that arc in the series, I thought, like I say, it kept you guessing. The suspense was building up and up. But ultimately, that led to what one, probably one of my favourite moments is is Gus's death, uh, the half-face explosion. Again, the amazing use of science, but also the amazing use of one of his own enemies, one of Walter's enemies uh, in, I can't remember the name of the gentleman, but the guy in the wheelchair who, all I can remember him from is he took a big dump in the police station. I don't know why, there's lots of themes around people taking dumps in big moments in, in <laughs> Breaking Bad. But uh, that moment where Gus, is, uh, his face gets blowed off. Ugh! Like I, you couldn't have called that at all, could you? It was insane. Oh no, yeah, that's that's kind of like there's moments in Breaking Bad where it goes cartoonish, uh, like just every now and then to remind you that you're it's entertainment, and it's yeah they're incredible because they don't seem to retract from the show as as it could do in some t- some other shows, but um, that is a great move, great great moment. What about Skylar? In the pool, in season what is it? Season uh, five, I believe. Yeah. And she's uh, she wades into the pool, sort of like completely emotionless, and it's a cry for help, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Cry for help. Uh, she's got literally her law, her law-abiding brother-in-law, um, sitting there who is after Heisenberg. She knows who Heisenberg is. In fact, you know, how do I get out of this scenario? But at the same time, we are starting to make a load of money. Actually, I think it's before that point she's accepted that when she does the pool moment, isn't it? It's just the processing all this information. And, I mean, great acting. Mm. Absolutely. Just completely empty. Anna Gunn? Is that Anna her? Gunn, yeah. Um, she, I mean, I think her amazing. character arc kind of gets overlooked because of, you know, Brian Cranston playing Walter. 
But she has a similar character arc herself, um, and it's utterly believable and incredible. And her and um, Brian Cranston really just carry the entire show, to be fair. She's got a lot of work that needs doing that maybe doesn't get the uh, appreciation it deserves. Although everything gets the appreciation it deserves in Breaking Bad, doesn't it? <laughs> I think she does, like say, her arc of um, caregiver to Walter to absolute bitch because basically Walter's being a bitch to her so she's going to be, do some bitchy things back a lot of people I think are kind of on the wrong side of her bitchiness on that um, to be honest but you know she does she she gives as good as she gets and you think is she a victim is she someone causing pain is she someone who is suffering if she's someone who's crying for help or is she playing a game you go through so many different tropes and I, I don't think there's one answer I think it's very complex, um, Skylar, in this TV show. But that again, that moment where she's eating salad and Walter's like, you know what, we're very dysfunctional. At some point we might get back together, but I'm living in this house for the sake of my son and I'm the caregiver. And I, I do all this, well, he keeps saying, and although he admits it in that finale, as you say, that beautiful finale moment, he's always said, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for the family. I'm doing this because I want to put put a roof over your head and feel like the man yeah and then ultimately he says i've done it all for me but um that moment where she lifts up the salad and just says i fucked ted and it's like oh man <laughs> that's got to cut so deep because whatever happens although he tried to seduce his <laughs> that uh principle and it goes hilariously wrong for him like deep down regardless of whatever skylar does he would always take her back and that you felt his pain for that split second, I felt. But um, yeah, I agree with you. Amazing performance from her over that season and in general. Mm. So one of the things which I generally love, uh, I think Mike is an amazing character. Um, I don't get how they can keep using him in uh, Better Call Soul because unfortunately time waits for no man and if you're trying to tell me this old man is somehow being a younger version of himself I find it hard <laughs> to believe as we'll talk a bit about in the review of um, El Camino but um, first and foremost his introduction that scene where well his first introduction I call it anyway when he is he goes to that factory he is going to help one of his colleagues and he is like an assassin he is just like uh, he's just he uses his space and awareness and his body to his advantage. And he takes out all those guys. And then even when he's like holding his gun up and the guy's got his hands up and he's saying, basically, raise your hands to represent how high I need to lift my gun to shoot that guy right around. I just thought, I thought it was brilliant. It was such a, it epitomized, look, this guy, he knows some stuff. He's got a history and you should not trust him. Like, do not be, do not, do not let a book judge you by this front cover. <laughs> and then when you see him go to Jesse and he just basically, he's just like a fixer, you know, comes in, looks for drugs, looks for evidence that links it to, to Gus or whatnot, or, you know, uh, sorry, Sol, who's called him at that point. And he you know, picks up Jesse and just says, when you woke up, she was like that when she, when you woke up, that's all, you know, repeat that again and again, gets up, walks out. And it was just like, man, that is a, that is a stone cold bastard. <laughs> but I love that character. Yeah so conflicted because he's got his granddaughter so he's got this thing he cares about whilst simultaneously not caring about anything else <laughs> seemingly but you would love an origin story of mike wouldn't you but uh maybe the euthification would have to get involved for that at this point because he is looking a bit <laughs> old but 
And imagine if he had the same voice, though, but he was like 20, and he was just like, mm, hello, guys, <laughs> oh, Walter. Uh, he was in um, Community for a season, and uh, he actually is quite a funny guy. Like, he's generally just a, he's a, just a great actor. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to see him in more stuff. In fact, you know, obviously, I'd, I don't want to do any spoilers about Il, Il Camino just yet, but if they are looking at doing more stories in that world I would not be against a Mike Origins story if it's done well if they get the right people involved and do it in a compelling way uh, but John what else are you, what's your any other favourite Breaking Bad moments favourite do you know what uh, episode really kind of seems to uh, be a bit controversial because uh, some people think it's great some people don't Fly season three I fucking hate that <laughs> <laughs> see I love uh, those sort of bottle episodes where they're just it's just two of the characters and it's all about developing them it's annoying when you don't realise you're in the episode until about halfway through and you're like oh uh, you feel cheated this is it okay but once you kind of get over that and realise it's Netflix and you watch the next one straight away uh, I sort of loved I kind of loved that episode um, and I love when a series does that. It just sort of turns it on its head and you get a completely different um, different kind of episode. But, yeah, there's so much to choose from in Breaking Bad. Um, I am looking forward to speaking about El Camino. i I got to be honest, I really do not like the bottle episode. That's the only episode of Breaking Bad I do not like. Um, just because I personally think they're a bit of a gimmick. It's just a pretentious way of going, oh, it's our character development piece. We wanted to see if we could hold the audience in for 50 straight minutes you know, in one set. And yeah, you do. You do a good job. But does the story actually advance? Do we learn anything more about these characters that qualifies its existence? I would argue no, but I, I suppose I could applaud them for doing it. Um, and yeah, I suppose the only time I kind of thought it was kind of cool, again, you had that hilarious dad uh, moment from uh, Walter when it shows on the CCTV and he's just shouting because he keeps falling over in a slapstick way. But uh, but yeah, I'm I'm I was going to say in the controversial moments we didn't like about Breaking Bad, I would probably say that the bottle episode is th- that for me. Yeah, the uh, the variation in bad guys is kind of amazing as well, isn't it? You uh, you kind of got this. Strange arc. We got Gus Fring, one of the most iconic villains of all time. Uh, I mean, so original, so bizarre, but like just seems to fit into the universe perfectly. Uh, and then just before him, you had uh, sort of Tuca, who was complete opposite. Um, and Walter White kind of ends up navigating his way through all of these people, which is hmm. uh, it's just incredible. But we should probably stop it's... fanboying about Breaking Bad because we've got some fanboying to do about some more Breaking Bad, to be honest. <laughs> well, in that note, let's go straight to it. I get high and I get low Oh, but that's the way These things go Il Camino is a sequel to Breaking Bad in the form of a TV movie. It has the original writer and developers from the Breaking Bad universe, because it is a universe now with Better Call Saul, and we have some of the returning cast. That is right, Aaron Paul, a.k.a. Jesse Pinkman, is back. He is reprising his role as Jesse. Now, this film, 
as you saw in the trailers, is set moments after the events of the finale of Breaking Bad. We didn't know too much about where the story was going to go, other than we just know what Jesse done next. And this is it. This is the film. John, first of all, before we go into the synopsis and what actually happens here, what is your initial take on what this film is? El Camino. Well, it kind of suggests it's a road movie, um, which it kind of is, I guess, but it doesn't... I mean, it's interesting because one of the trailers where Skinny Pete's talking to the cops, right? That's not even in it. So it, Vince Gilligan kind of sends you on this journey of expectation and you honestly don't really know what to expect. But what comes is an incredible sort of 48-hour period after the end of season six of Breaking Bad, right? Uh, together with a load of flashbacks as well, which fills in all the gaps um yeah so i didn't know what to expect but what i got i was very very happy with spoiler alert i loved it yeah. <laughs> true so just uh, for the record we will do a spoiler free review now and then at some point in this pod we will switch to talking about spoilers but we will give full warning before then so we'll keep it light and, and review, uh, spoiler free for the moment so effectively as john mentioned it's the first kind of 48 hour plus period of that event i was very surprised by that uh, main reason is that this film is you know we're, we're talking what seven years since the finale i can't remember the exact number but it's been some time and i was kind of hoping that we would find out a bit more like this is the next story this is very much breaking bad 2.0 the next just little bit a prologue if you will of what happens you have some flashbacks to some events that have happened prior to the finale some flashbacks during that finale and just the immediate aftermath from that and i was not prepared for that not doesn't mean that's not what i wanted again because we've asked this question does this film should this film exist should it warrant its existence does it enrich the world even more i would say it enriches jesse pinkman even more there's a couple of details from the finale which has been glossed over in the finale because of the, the nature of it. For example, Jesse Pinkman has been locked in a cage for an unspecified period of time, but it's at least six months. What effect does that have on a person? What effect does that have on someone's body, emotions, and everything in between of that? This film dives into that, explores that, you know, for a really interesting way, which means, again, it adds more layers to this very, very complex character. You also have completely forgotten that Jesse is a kid, He's 19 when he first starts his journey with Walter White, and it's only a few years that Breaking Bad actually evolves over. In fact, they remind you at the start of the film, there is a flashback scene between Jesse and a Breaking Bad character. And the first thing they say to him is, what's a 19-year-old kid with all this money going to do? And all of a sudden you go, fuck, he is a kid. Yeah. He's, he's, he, we've grown up with him, but this is still very much in this kid's world, which is very weird to think, considering Aaron Paul is 41 now, but still. <laughs> um, he's 41? Yeah, so he kinda, I did not know that. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Whatever his regiment is, please let me know. But um, <laughs> Well, I was going to say, you're not. they couldn't really feel, even delay this film for another two years, right? They're trying to pick up where they left off. Uh, but many of the actors is sort of the elephant in the room it's like uh, they don't look the same <laughs> <They're> old and fat <laughs> yeah these guys don't quite look the same um, but at the same time I don't know if this is true but a couple of the scenes it looked like they might have used deleted scenes or something from Breaking Bad so they look genuinely younger um, particularly the one with Walter and Jesse but I might be reading too much into that. But uh, I feel like that would have been a really clever move for Vince to use that some stuff 
from yeah, so just to just to clarify john's uh, comment just there it's not a spoiler uh, there is a flashback scene with walter in uh, we won't go into any more details than that until we get to the, so the spoiler sorry. section but <laughs> it's all right john you ain't let the cat out the bag yet it's all good but um, but essentially yes i agree with you they I don't know if they used previous scenes that were just on the cutting room floor from the TV show. Um, there are, like I say, returning cast members that do appear in this show. Oh, sorry, TV film. And uh, yes, they might have been cutting room floor reels, but I, I doubt that considering how certain looks and how certain people, like you say, have gained a few inches around the waistline <laughs> in some of the things that move forward. But anyway, what, what can we talk about? So this is about Jesse on the land. This is about Jesse finally breaking the shackles of his captors and how he reacts to that. He is one of the most wanted men in the country. The FBI and the police are tracking him down. He is all over the news. His parents have disowned him, as we knew from the TV show. What does he do for help? Where does he go? He goes to some old allies. He needs to get money, and ultimately, he needs to get out. And the way he gets out, or tries to get out in, during the course of this film, you know, it pulls on the heartstrings, especially considering one of those lead actors has just passed away, um, actually over the weekend, which is a crying shame, the vacuum guy. Um, and you know, what a way to have a send out, because he does appear in this film as well. Um, I think there is some nice suspenseful moments. I think there are some great moments of levity. Now, here's an interesting thing. If you have never seen Breaking Bad before, you're probably not going to want to watch this, but if you are seeing this because you've just turned it on and go, oh, I want to get into Breaking Bad, this do, don't do that. Watch Breaking Bad because the only payoffs you have in this film is because of the emotional equity you have built with these characters over the course of 10 years, six seasons, and a buttload of fanfare in between of that. Without that, it's not joyless, but it just doesn't feel very rewarding. So I'm trying to think about that lens of if you're not a Breaking Bad fan, why would you watch this? don't watch it watch the show first because then it feels like it's up there as your film of the year because of the emotional investment you have in these characters is that fair yeah i mean they called it and marketed it as a breaking bad movie and i think that's very clearly because you're you're going to be disappointed if you never watch breaking bad and you come to this uh fresh which is it's kind of weird uh this movie's brought up a lot of conversations with like people who are like oh yeah i never watched breaking bad and you just want to shake them you go what but um it's <laughs> you know it's fine these people still exist and it's good to be reminded of that uh but please do yourself a favor it's only 62 hours get it done in a couple of sick days and just enjoy the movie yeah 100% on that so let's talk about Aaron Paul's performance in this I thought first of all it came across a little bit jarring because again there are flashbacks and they start off with a lot of those flashbacks one Aaron Paul has aged believe it or not between Breaking Bad and now so him all of a sudden being like yo bitch hello fellow people I'm 19 again even though we know he's not it comes across a little bit jarring but then when it gets you back in the moment the emotional crux of this is a guy who's been trapped in a cage for six months and all of a sudden he has been set free he is now able to get in a bed again he's able to to get have a shower eat pr- food that's not been dispensed from a horrible person you know you that brings you back into the journey that brings you back into the world and then when he starts to feel a little bit more human and be a little bit more like jesse we know and love you can believe it so that's why i was kind of shocked that this film is set within the first like say 48 hours to maybe a week that depending on um, how the timeline goes uh, after the events of breaking bad because it's been a number of years since then those actors have moved on they have changed physically as well as obviously the world has moved on slightly so i was expecting it to be like that stuff about him escaping 
like you saw of the Skiddy Pete and you saw a little bit of clips of him escaping. I thought that was the first scene of the film and we were going to get six years later and this is what the world is like now. That's not what you're getting. This is very much a... It sounds like a, a short story, a one-shot, if you will, of this is how Jesse deals with the immediate aftermath. And I loved it. I just weren't expecting that. So it kind of threw me off. But doesn't mean Aaron Paul's performance was not masterful. I generally think he's but all the beautiful intelligence that this character has in a world where he has had to grow up in and I thought it was fantastic yeah I think it was really sort of career defining for him to be honest because he's sort of struggled to get uh, something as iconic I mean he, he probably won't ever get anything as iconic as Jesse from Breaking Bad but this really ties a ribbon on the end of that character I think um and I think it was really sort of, it was nice because Walter White's story is the whole of Breaking Bad, right? And then Jesse's story didn't end in Breaking Bad. Uh, and this neatly sort of ties a ribbon. I think if you start doing five, six years later, you might be opening up a can of worms as to, uh, and probably setting yourself up to have to build the universe around it quite a bit larger. And I don't think that's what, Vince wanted to do so I can see definitely see the merit in keeping it quite contained within the the kind of story the Breaking Bad universe yeah I agree with that I also <laughs> think that this feels like an anniversary special if that makes sense of oh it's been a period of time uh, we're doing some bits here and it's great I kind of would have liked the idea of them breaking it down into episodes and making it like a mini series. But then again, I appreciate the the delivery of, a, like you say, a concise two hour experience. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Right, we'll talk spoilers in a minute, John. But let's give it a score. Where does it sit for you? Oh, mate, I was I was at five in the start. Uh, and it basically stayed five the whole way. I think the cinematography, we haven't talked a whole lot about kind of the cinematography and some of the scenes. I mean, it's got all the hallmarks of the best of Breaking Bad, hasn't it? Some yeah. of the shots are just incredible. And it's telling this kind of a small story, just a few characters, really. But it just completely captivates you. And some of the scenes are so tense um i'm going five without a shadow of doubt loved it what about you are you are you sitting at a four no i i do think it's a five out of five experience especially considering with you know streaming gym and but also i agree with you the cinematography is beautiful there are certain bits one of the things you forget about breaking bad is that they really did experiment with camera work and Things like flash forwards, uh, time loops, uh, different angles, or there's one scene in particular, and I won't set the premise, but I'll just say what happens, so it's not a spoiler per se. Uh, Jesse has to raid a room, and in that room he has to decide, he has to he has to search a bunch of stuff, and then all of a sudden the camera pans upwards, so it's a floor plan view of that room, and then it does a time loop, and it overlays every move Jesse does. So all of a sudden you have like 70 Jessies wandering around this floor plan, picking up, cleaning, moving, tearing, breaking, kicking, moving, screaming, searching. And the music behind it is very Breaking Bad-esque. It's, and again, the use of music in this, there's, there's one scene in particular where Todd uh, is, back in the, is back in the picture and he is driving a car and he is singing 
a song which can only be described as something that belongs in a <laughs> James Gunn soundtrack. And it's just, it's so creepy and eerie, but all of a sudden you're back in this world. All those feels you had from Breaking Bad, you're, you're transported back to those. And it's amazing. And it's the combination of the performances, but also the people behind the camera, as you mentioned, with the cinematography and the use of music. Totally. I'm firm, firm five for me. I absolutely loved it. But... You've got to love Breaking Bad to love it. I think if you if you think meh about Breaking Bad, firstly, you're insane. And secondly, you're probably not going to get much out of this. If you never watched Breaking Bad, getting nothing out of this. If you love Breaking Bad, as all sane people should, you will love this movie. <laughs> There's been... So we're in spoiler territory now, Flinty. We're about to go into spoiler territory now. So uh, if you haven't seen it, pause, go away, watch the damn thing, come back and hear what we've got to say about it now. So come on then, John, we're in spoiler land. What, what's the, let's, let's go for it. Okay. Well, where do we start? Oh, it's just amazing. Now, I think that's the, the, the de-aging stuff, right? I've got a <laughs> bit of a gripe about this. So first of all, Aaron Paul can just about pull off looking like Jesse at the end of Breaking Bad. He cannot pull off looking like a 19-year-old. He is 41, for Christ's sake. Uh, that scene with him and Mike at the lake, and he's just like, I'm 19, what would you do? And I was like, oh, no. And Todd, 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 Todd. I mean, the guy, fair play to him, he's married to Kristen Dunst, and, uh, and uh, he's definitely punching. But um, the fact that they even acknowledge that he is not the man he used to look six or seven years ago, they they do a shot instead to kind of slowly lure you in. So the shot is looking up at him through the cage and hiding the vast majority of his face because, yeah, he has... I mean, it would have been funny if they'd gone, how are those bee stings doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the elephant in the room, isn't it? And he's getting a lot of flack for it. I mean... Oh, really? Yeah. But saying that, Jesse Plemons' performance is absolutely flawless. He take he just carries on this repulsive but intriguing Todd character from where he left off, and he does a lot of work in this movie. His the scenes with Todd, you know, it takes up quite a big portion of the movie, and he's just yeah. masterful at it. Uh, but you do think, you know, you got you get Joaquin Phoenix, Matthew McConaughey, kind of shedding. 50 60 pounds for a role and that has not been the case here uh unfortunately <laughs> but he looks like the guy who ate todd but anyway i'm not i'm not i'm not fat slamming but um well, i do agree with you um, amazing performance nonetheless and one of the things that it's brought to the character was in the tv show i always thought that todd was just misguided you know he was kind of a simple guy he obsessed about his uncle but he was always a good person at heart and without the influence of his uncle, he would have been a normal guy. In this film, that proves that is not the case. He is a fucking sociopath. The point where he kills his, his maid on the account of she found some money and he's just like, oh yeah, she was a nice lady and I choked her with a belt. And that scene where they're going to push the body off of the, off of the balcony, I thought that was going to go splat and it was going to be like another Breaking Bad acid bath moment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, I, I thought he was pretty much a psychopath from the show, but the way you find out in the show is fascinating because it's slow burner, isn't it? But uh, he really, he does an ama- incredible job in this. And the scene where they're out in the desert and Jesse, what I found really interesting, so he's got the gun, he's, he's told him to get the cigarettes and 
the guns in the glove compartment, right? So he's like, okay, get the gun. And then Jesse's so damaged and he's been, he's so damaged from his captor that he just gives the gun back. I was convinced that that was a test from Jesse. He knew that he was, and he'd given him a gun with blanks in it. And then he was going to let him attempt to shoot him and then use that as a way, means of like torturing him more. Um, which I thought would be kind of interesting, but it it sort of suggests it, that might have been the case and he just didn't do it, or he might have just been kind of a bit dumb and uh, left the gun in there. But it was a really, really well done scene that I thought, and it just kind of mm. painted a picture of how broken Jesse had gotten, um, which makes the ultimate payoff just that little more satisfying, right? So... Yeah, speaking of, I kind of hope they showed the death of Todd to add to the payoff of oh man, you like they glossed over it in the show. Like Jesse has been tortured. Like you've done this to a young person. It doesn't matter if they're young or old. You shouldn't do it to anyone. But you've done this to a way where he, this person, might be permanently damaged. And to you forget that. Don't worry, Jesse. Oh, don't worry, but Jesse does have some vengeance. And yeah, you, you kind of get, you kind of forget all about that. In terms of actually forgetting about certain things, we were talking about: do we think we'll see Walter again? We do in a flashback. But um, I was, I asked you the question of what happens if he was alive and well somehow. And they put that theory to bed within the first ten minutes of this film, where Jesse is in the car and he's under a bridge, and he turns on the radio, and they confirm the death of Walter White. And uh, we're getting a little bit more Breaking Bad closure, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was very cleverly done early on just to be like, look, guys, don't get your hopes up. And then, uh, I mean, Vince is a genius. He does that to you. And then later on, when you were like, "Okay, yeah, he's dead. It's fine. Not going to see him. Oh, there's a flashback with him. And you get this amazing scene of dialogue between Jesse and Walter, of which we enjoyed so many times of them in, you know, a cafe or Los Polos or, and they're just chatting away uh, with this. But usually it gets kind of angry pretty quick. But this was like, it was kind of nice because there was obviously a lot of some friendship between them and nice dialogue. And we got to witness some of that, uh, of them just sort Mm. of shooting the shit filling in time talking about hopes and dreams and stuff um so i thought that was a really nice little payoff and great to have brian cranston sputtering and coughing again just to remind us that you know he did have cancer and suffered for many years but uh that's absolutely but yeah I, i really love that scene um yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? It is. I mean, this is a like best of Breaking Bad as well. It's got some incredible characters. So many side characters come back for this one. Uh, you've even got some uh, many flashbacks to you know his old girlfriend. You've got the kid Brock that he sends a letter to at the end. Now, a lot of people are kind of, or well, I've got the sense from quite a few people that they're a bit disappointed with the ending. Like it's a. It's a bit of a damp squib, maybe. Um, what? What? How do you feel, Flinty? Tell me how you felt the first time you watched the end in there. So I agree, it kind of felt limp, but it needed to. Here's the biggest challenge the ending has with this: Jesse is our hero of the film. Jesse is our emotional crux of 
that horrible gangster world, but whilst at the same time, humanity. And he can't go off into the sunset and everything all come up Millhouse, whilst at the same time, we don't want him to end up in a prison cell, we don't want him to die. But he is responsible for a lot of bad stuff. He was part of a horrible thing, and he broke the law, and he probably needed to have some repercussions from that. That being said, not every villain should see their repercussion just as every hero shouldn't see their sunset so what we got was jesse's not going to jail but he is starting again but he does have a bag full of cash and he's probably going to go take college or something and i think the ending although we saw an ending of jesse walking away like the incredible hulk uh we the actual ending is him and walter saying goodbye to us and i thought what a fitting way as you've already described the scene it's beautiful but what i find even more amazing is that that film ending is set just after the events of the episode where they do a big cook in the desert, the car's broken and they've just got to a hotel and they're just resting up after a horrible 24 hours of not drinking or eating and uh, and everything else. Now, anyone who knows a bit about their Breaking Bad law behind the scenes would know that Jesse was only meant to be a season one character. He was meant to be written out and... A lot of people believe that it was around then that would have been one of Jesse's last episodes, if not the last episode, that his character would have appeared in. And Walter would have done other things to have uh, found other ways to do his cook and maybe he would have had other assistants and whatnot. Uh, but because Aaron Paul done such a good job and the relationship and dynamics between them, they kept writing him in to the point where he'd become the main character. There is something fitting about ending the film purely based on the character when that character was only meant to be in for a handful of episodes and that last episode probably was meant to be that episode where he's you know, been out in the desert for a bit and it's just there's something so nice about this that Aaron Paul has willed this into existence just like he willed Jesse to continue being in this show by sheer tenacity great performance and great chemistry between him and Brian Cranston and uh, although I didn't want to say it in the, the spoiler-free part, but that scene of them meeting and walking down the corridor, that is new. That's a new scene. Uh, look at a screenshot of that and then look at a picture of Jesse back then. Yes, they're completely different. He had, you know, he's 10-odd years older and they, they have just stuck a bald cap on top of Brian Cranston for that scene. So it's really <laughs> obvious when you actually look at it from that perspective. But I think I, think I liked the ending. Um, it gave us closure. It gave us that ending. It gave us a, look, I don't want to, it wouldn't be interesting to watch a TV show now about a guy who turns up in Alaska with with no history joining a, a college to, to get a course done. And that's how community was made. No, um, there's it's, I, I'm happy enough. Um, I don't think we need to revisit the well. Although, you know, I said that about Better Call Soul and I think that's amazing. <laughs> there's no time with Better Call Soul though. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting choice. Mm. Yeah, no, no, no room for him, unfortunately. Um what did you think about the standoff scene then? So he goes in to get the money from these evil guys, obviously, who are having some sort of party with some hookers in their little, <laughs> shant, I don't know, shack, whatever you'd call it. And he ends up doing this, this kind of a, a draw, right? Chateau de Scaffolding. Old yeah. Western style draw with the guns. I loved that for a few reasons, but it it was kind of like a little bit uh, bombastic, given how real the feel, uh, film fent, uh, felt. What am I saying? Um, but I loved the way that he... It was classic Jesse, right? Because he just... He had the gun, but 
he ain't going to play by those rules. He's a survivalist. He'll do anything it takes to survive and he will do it. So he kills them. He kills the other guy. And then the other three, he lets them go, right? But he, so he's, he's still got this sort of kind of compassion humanity. and humanity to him whilst doing these heinous things. But he, he is sort of the conscious of the show, conscience of the show. But he's so damaged, he doesn't have too much problem killing these two guys and letting the other three go. Uh, kind of genius, using his sort of street smart saying, he takes their driving license, says, I know where you live you ever speak to the cops about this he could just waste them and burn the whole thing up and make it look like an accident but he doesn't um and it kind of reminds you of his his conscience uh although obviously he has just murdered two other people but let's be honest they had it coming <laughs> i loved that scene i thought it was a really really nice scene i mean this is this film is kind of just a a montage of incredible breaking bad scenes for me uh and it was just it just floated by and it was amazing so i was happy with the ending although it's understated it makes a lot of sense and it just just it you you've had so much of history to build up to that point of just seeing him drive off and sort of nearly smile and that's all you really get but you see a lot in his eyes don't you and i think Mm -hmm. that's the payoff uh and people who wanted this I don't know, this huge action ending or something to happen. I think you maybe you haven't invested enough in the character. So watch it better next time and your opinions are invalid <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. I love the... I do agree with you. That stand-up scene is, is, is incredible. It feels like everything Jesse has learned over the course of six seasons of Breaking Bad has come into play in some size, shape or form whether that's about knowing how to search an apartment to knowing uh, how to rig an explosion to happen to how to handle a gun to how to do the sleight of hand so it looks like he's just playing around with the the six you know the, the toy gun they were taking the piss out of um but one of the things that I thought may have been going I'm kind of glad this didn't happen was when Jesse turned around and was leaving the apartment and he's just had that standoff with those guys previously in the flat and he has a flashback to, ah, oh, and he says, oh, I was wondering if you'd remember me and driven off. I thought, oh, fuck, is he going to get like a list? And all of a sudden it's going to be a, you know what? Fuck it. This is a, I, this ain't ending well for me. I'm just going to go kill everyone who was involved in my incarceration because, you know, they make a big thing of doing that flashback scene of, look, I'm the person that built the cage that held you together uh, while you were having to cook constantly. I thought he was going to go after him and it would have become a vengeance, a vendetta movie. Which I'm glad it didn't. No. Because it, it was more about Jesse just getting out. It wouldn't. And that scene where he refused to leave the vacuum cleaner place again. So it's great tension. Yeah. It was. Yeah. He's not as vengeful as, what, vengeful as Walter White was. Uh, he's a survivor. Uh, he's going to make it. Almost, yeah. All that stuff. But one. It was a bit tenuous. The whole $1,800. Oh, you're short $1,800. Okay. Uh, I'll guess I'll have to go and get a gun from the parents which is genius because you're like what is he going to rob his parents you know but he doesn't he just gets the gun to go and get the money from um those guys but it was sort of manufactured like oh i need 1800 so i'm gonna have to go and revisit these guys and there's gonna be an amazing scene but as i describe it i'm sort of like well that is that is breaking bad that is the universe isn't it that's what happens Mm. uh and it just 
I I have no issues with any of the movies, any of the choices. And, you know, I feel maybe a little sadness, almost like I, I mourned when Breaking Bad ended and I got this little bit of joy and now I'm going to have to mourn again, aren't I? Because that is it. <laughs> well, you've got Better Call Soul coming back, but I think that's only coming back for one more uh, season. Yeah. If not, then it'll be like a season and a half season to, to round it off. Um, and, you know, it, it needs to... Then again, I said that about Better Call Saul and they've made a great TV show. So who knows? Maybe it's about Skinny Pete. Hatless Skinny Pete. That's what we'll have going forward. <laughs> that was an incredible little moment as well, wasn't it? Because you're my hero and shit. <laughs> Skinny Pete is one of the best side characters of of all time. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Anyway, I think we've, we've shoot the shit enough about that, John. I think it's been, a, you know, it definitely carries the five very well. Uh, hope we do see more, but understand that this is probably the end. So anyway, thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to this, just maybe you're willing to go a little bit further. Leave us a review. Tell us about things you like. Tell us about things you don't like. Tell us about things you'd like to see. You can do that via the comment section within your podcast app, or you can get in contact with us on Twitter at TalkFilmingToMe. I want to thank my boy, my hero and shit. John, how can people find you? Thanks, bitch. Uh, you can find me at Descamento on Twitter. Fine. Next week, we'll be back with another review. We'll be back talking with a couple of other interesting filmy people. Anyway, till next time, stay filmy, bitch. Bye-bye. Down in the basement, we'll lock the cellar door and baby. Talk filmy to me.